Welcome to Lighthouse Chapel International, Columbus, Ohio. We invite you to discover the life-changing anointed word of God as you listen to this message by Reverend Gilbert Asamoah. Reverend Gilbert Asamoah is a well-seasoned minister who serves as the general overseer of the Raccoon Diocese in Lighthouse Chapel International, USA. Founded by Bishop Dag Heward Mills with over 1,800 branches worldwide. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message. Enjoy the series on um, overcoming the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, by the grace of God, I believe we brought it to an end last week. So, we are starting another series on the book Staying Power. Staying Power. Hallelujah. Staying Power is the new title of Bishop's book that was originally called Backsliding. Amen. Staying power. Staying power. I-N-G. Stay in power. The power to stay in Christ, so to speak. Stay in power. I don't know whether we have it. I think it should be in the... Is it not in the uh, Macarius? Maybe somebody can look and see if you can find it. Amen. No, no, no. I think, Brother Eugene, you can rest. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> stay in power. Let's look at um, 1 Peter 1 and verse 1 to 5. 1 Peter 1, 1 to 5. Peter is writing. Okay. So, all right. So that's the backsliding, and then the subtitle is Develop Your Staying Power. Hallelujah. Wonderful. So, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and from verse 1 to 5, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, 
Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Are you blessed already? The blessing is in the scripture. Don't lose out. Because sometimes as you are reading the scripture, people are waiting for the scripture to be over to hear the preaching, the explanation. But the actual blessing is in the scripture. Hallelujah. Look at it. In this verse, you know, especially in the second part, the verse 2, you see how Apostle Peter is expounding on the Holy Trinity. Do you get it? He says that elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So, so if you are a Christian, you have been elected or chosen in, in, in before the foundation of the world according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So God the Father can assure you from afar. Do you get it? And then in sanctification of the Spirit. So he separated you. Sanctification means he made you special. He separated you by the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, all the three persons in the Trinity are in this sentence. Do you get it? Then he said, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Hallelujah. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. So, that's born again. Has begotten us again to a living hope. Peter is saying that the born again experience is to a living hope, not to a dead religion, to a living hope. Why is he saying a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. The fact that Christ is alive, that he's not dead, that is the living hope that we have. So, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now look at this. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Hallelujah. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Hallelujah. So the phrase that kept ringing in my head that made us read this passage is that expression kept by the power of God. Amen. Kept by the power of God. We are talking about staying power. You know, how to develop your staying power. Because when you become a Christian, you know, the Bible says that you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Hallelujah. Another way to look at it is that you've been chosen from the world and placed on the mountain of God. Amen. And so when somebody backslides, when somebody backslides, it's like the picture I get is like the... Um, the, the, the guy who left Jerusalem to go to Jericho. You know, the story of the good Samaritan, if you are familiar with that story. When somebody backslides, it's like you have left Jerusalem and you are going to Jericho. You have left the place where God has placed you. Hallelujah. But when you come to Christ, you have been promoted. Jerusalem in the Old Testament, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, um, Judaism. Jerusalem was the only place they were supposed to go and worship. The temple was in Jerusalem, and it was the only place that every Jewish uh, person, at least three times a year, you had to go to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. 
Now, after the after the um, Solomon died and the kingdom was divided, the, the northern kingdom, you know, they, 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 after they um, went away from the Lord, they came under the rule of the Assyrians and they intermarried and one of the effects of breaking away and one of the effects of, of, of not being part of Judah was that they started building their own individual worship centers. And in, over time, it got corrupted that it wasn't the one true God they were worshiping. They, they had built up places all over the place and they were worshiping idols. Hallelujah. But Jerusalem was the place. That is why when Jesus met the woman at the well of Samaria in, I believe, um, John chapter 4, you know, she said, our ancestors said that, you know, we should go to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, no, our ancestors said we should worship God at this mountain, but you Jews say we should go to Jerusalem to worship. So Jerusalem represents the abode of God. Amen. When somebody leaves Jerusalem and they are heading to Jericho, a place which has been cursed, when, when Joshua conquered Jericho, he said no one should build this place. Whoever rebuilds this will be cursed. So leaving Jerusalem to go to Jericho is a symbol of the backslider. A person who has backslidden. Hallelujah. And he says that he went down to Jericho. So what, what can we do to remain on this mind, holy mountain? Amen. We have to we have, because what happens is that there are a lot of things that are going to come against our faith. And we have to develop a staying power. This type of backsliding, and the thing about backsliding is that one Christian minister said, if you are not going forward, right, you are actually backsliding. Because people think backsliding means you are going back. No. The Christian life is an, an advancing kingdom. It's an advancing uh, calling. Amen. If you don't advance, you will be trampled over. My father said a long time ago, he wanted to watch a soccer game, and there was a stampede. And the only way to survive was to not to stand around or not, not, to, not to stand and watch. You had to join the crowd and run, because the people who were not forcing to go forward, they fell down, and the, the people were stamping over them. Hallelujah. That's a picture of the Christian life. And so, why should we study backsliding? Why should we study, develop our staying power? Amen. So, I'll, I'll mention a few things. And in the book, Staying Power, Bishop talks about, he said, my final argument. Then he talks about the testimony of saints who died in Christ. Hallelujah. And then he talks about some sinners who died in their sins. And you see, the whole point is that Whatever has been written has been written for our warning. Amen. And we develop these things to harden ourselves in our faith so that we don't get shaky when things are thrown at us. When things are thrown at you, it can destabilize you. Amen. It's like a brother who goes to propose to a girl that he was 100% sure that she's going to say yes. And then he proposes and then she sits flat and said no. In fact, I'm not, you are not the kind that, that my type can be dazed for this. Amen. <laughs> you can be dazed like you are drunk for this because you are not expecting that to happen. That's what happens to a believer. Who, who, who are, if you are too confident of yourself as a believer, that you are not expecting for the devil to be able to floor you. You get it. The Bible said, he that thinketh he is standard, he should take it lest he falls. Amen. Why should we develop staying power? Why should we fight backsliding? Number one, 
to abide in Christ. We need to develop the ability to abide in Christ. Because if somebody, you say somebody has fallen, fallen from what? Amen. We must have a high standard of where we are supposed to be, right? So that when you are fallen, you will know that you are fallen. If you don't know where you are supposed to be, then even when you are falling, you wouldn't know you are falling. Hallelujah. So why should we study staying power or developing our staying power? Is to so that we would abide in Christ. John 15 and verse 7. John 15 and verse 7. Let's look at that scripture. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Hallelujah. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Christ said this before he went to the cross. But the words, the life force in his words are as alive today as when he said it. That there is something called abiding in Christ. Amen. So the obvious thing when we say somebody has backslidden is that he has left the feet, right? Is that not so? When somebody is backslidden, like as believers, if somebody leaves the feet, it's clear that they have backslidden. Is that not so? So that is definitely one of the reasons why we must develop our staying power so that we will not abandon the faith, so that we will not leave the faith. Because what's going to happen is that, like I was saying, either Friday or last week, that a certain minister was addressing some young people in his church. And he was telling them that, look, you guys have a certain exuberance, a certain energy that I admire. We all wish we are like you. Your enthusiasm, your interest, your energy. But he said that let's make an appointment at this restaurant. And he mentioned the name of the restaurant. He said, let's meet there in 20 years' time. And said, uh, uh, if in 20 years' time you are still in the faith, right? Then we are going somewhere. Because many people start, but they don't end in Christ. Hallelujah. And so, in, in, in talking about what people backslide from, or what, why we should study Backsliding is that first of all, abiding in Christ, meaning that remaining in the faith. Hallelujah. That no matter what comes at you, you will not question, you will not question God to the point of what? Leaving the faith. Hallelujah. Alright. The second reason why we need to know about backsliding. Or to, to put it another way. Another thing people can backslide from. Because when you are backsliding, you are in a certain good state and you are falling into a lower state, right? To be in Christ is the highest state. In Paul's writings, you see in, in, the, in the New Testament episode, you said the word in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That phrase in Christ means a lot in the realm of the Spirit. Hallelujah. And so the first thing that we need to protect ourselves from falling from is to protect ourselves from falling from that in Christ state into another state. Hallelujah. The second one is to live right for Christ. Hallelujah. So you see, being in Christ is one thing. But to live right for Christ, that's another thing that people can backslide from. That somebody may be in Christ, right? They haven't abandoned the faith. They haven't. It's not like that woman who finally proclaimed that, look, I don't have anything to do with you 
the church or your Christ. That one is like a, the person has vocalized their departure from the Christian faith. But in many instances, people have not actually said they have left the faith. Amen. They have not said they have left the faith. But they are not living for Christ. And that can be a state of backsliding. Amen. So look at this scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. We are talking about developing your staying power. And in developing your staying power, you are essentially asking yourself, where am I? Or where ought I to be? Because if you don't have a picture, if you don't have a picture of where the believer is supposed to be, are you, are you looking for that scripture? I gave a scripture, did I not? Second Corinthians 5 and 15. Alright. So, number one, we said that we need to know about backsliding and staying power so that we can abide in Christ and remain a believer. Number two, to live right for Christ. That we don't just bear the name of Christ in name only, right? That we would have a certain standard of living that will make it that we are Christians. So in this scripture, he said Christ, he died for all. Christ died for all. This is our calling. Christ died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. But for him who died for them and rose again. Hallelujah. This is the standard that our lives ought to be living for Christ. So when we are talking about staying power, staying power, that a picture I get, a picture I get, is like it's like you are you are riding a horse, right? And um, maybe a horse race, and then the winds are contrary, right? The force is against you, and everything is trying to pull you down. And then the horse is also running in a terrain that is not familiar to the horse. You get it. But if you fall down, maybe to your left and to your right are cliffs. Like, like, like the mountainous place. So that you have to develop your staying power, stay on the horse. Okay? You need to stay on the horse and you need to make the horse also stay on the track. Because if you don't stay on the horse, you're going to fall into a ditch. And if you don't, if you don't know how to ride the horse against the storms, against the things that are coming against you, then both you and the horse are going where? Into the ditch. Hallelujah. So this is the picture of the Christian life. But in this, in developing this scenario, because ultimately, your whole life is for a span of time. And then at the end of your life, the Bible says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Hallelujah. So, how now shall we live? Chakosin wrote a book of How now shall we live? This is the standard for us. That Christ died for all. That those who live should no longer live, should live no longer for themselves. This is the high standard that Christ has called us to. So, if you want to ask yourself whether you are backsliding or not, because you see, when we say backsliding, you are thinking of somebody who is a Christian who has gone into drinking, right? Or who has gone into fornication, who has gone into stealing, who has done one of the seven cardinal sins. 
But here is the standard to live for Christ. He says that no longer should live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Hallelujah. This is the standard that our lives, when you wake up in the morning, that your life is not for you anymore. We are slaves for Christ. Hallelujah. But it's not something that we think about much. Because Christ is such a good master that you know how it is, how you can have a dog, right? And what do you call the thing on the dog? A leech. So, if the leech is very short, right? When a dog goes this short distance, it will be stuck. It will feel that there is a, there's a string on it, there's a leech on it. But if the leech is long, like from here to Polaris, you get it. If the dog is moving from here to a Tamarack Circle, because it is such a short fraction of the distance, it may not feel that it is under leech. Hallelujah. And that is what Christ has done for us. He has given us a long leech from here to Accra. Amen. And so you don't really feel like you are actually a slave to Christ. But the reality is that we are his slaves. Why is that? Because, you see, in the ancient world, when you owe, when you owe money and you can't pay, sometimes they can take you and your children and your descendants and then you go and work for the person that you, you owe. Have you heard that before? And what happens is that if the debt is not paid, then that debt remains in the family. It passes from generation to generation that unless someone is able to pay the debt, every person that is born is another bondage. And then, it is, it, what, what, what is the benefit to the people who own these people? Free labor. Because they were in an agrarian economy. Whereby, the more laborers you have, the better for you. Are you getting the picture? And so, and so, but when somebody who has a lot of money comes and says, I am paying off this debt, you get it. They pay off this debt, and then you are free from the person that you, you, you belong to. But the person who, who paid this thing off for you cannot take you and say, come and live in my castle. You get it. Don't you think you owe that person something? That person may not put you on their farm to work for them, they may have a big castle with a big compound that you can play and everything. But as you are playing, as you are invited to the, how do you call it, the, the, the dinner table and they give you kebab to chew. As you are chewing, you must remember. You must remember that I owe my life to this person. This is the story of redemption. That when Christ came, we belong to the devil because of Adam's sin and the legacy of sin. We, the devil had a legal right to us. Amen. He had a legal right to us. But when Christ shed his blood and paid for us, he basically bought us back. To redeem means to buy. To buy back. Amen. So after we were purchased by the blood of Christ, you see the introduction that Peter said. He said by the sprinkling of the blood, we now belong to Christ. Hallelujah. But Christ has given us a very long leech from here to uh, Niagara Falls. It's okay, you can operate within a certain confines, but remember at the back of your mind that there's a leech behind.
behind your back. Do you get it? And so, this is the standard a believer should live by. That we no longer should live for ourselves. But how many believers today are living for ourselves? How do we know you are living for yourself? It's like, whatever we plan to do, we don't mind discussing with the master. Amen. And we don't, we don't have any plan of not only discussing with the master, but, but the fruit of what we are doing. The master doesn't seem to have a say in it. Amen. And then, we don't check with the master, what does he want me to do? Because if you feel that you are accountable to someone, you check with the person, what, what do you think I must do? Hallelujah. That's why I was blessed when, you know, one brother came to ask me, what do you think I must do about my work? What can I do to up it to the next level? Because it, it shows that somebody is thinking about what they are doing. Amen. So if we no longer live for ourselves, you see, as a believer, we must ponder over the love of Christ. We must ponder over his standards. We must ponder over how we conduct our, ourselves. Because you see, in many instances in life, you are going to have a choice between is this thing that I am doing, does Christ approve of it? Hallelujah. And I'm not even talking about the seven cardinal sins. I'm talking about sometimes you have to choose between two good things. Hallelujah. You have to choose between two good things. Two good things. Both of them are good. But one of them is approved by Christ. The other one is not. It's not a question of living to your own selves. Hallelujah. To your own delight. So this is a standard that if we don't live by this standard, we are vacillating. If we are not living our lives for Christ, they no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's clear that it's talking about Christ. Hallelujah. If it comes down to any arena of life, whether it is school, whether it is career, whether it's marriage, every decision that we are taking, what does Christ think about that? And what will Christ have us choose? Hallelujah. Have you heard somebody say, you know, this thing that you have done, I will put the Bible aside and show you where power lies. <laughs> you see, how can you put the Bible aside if you are in Christ? You cannot put the Bible aside. Hallelujah. I mean, what if the moment you put the Bible aside, that very moment Christ comes? Amen. And so, this is the second standard that if we are talking about someone is backslidden, all of us need to check ourselves. Are we living for ourselves? Or we are living for the one who died for us? We are living for Christ. Hallelujah. And everything that you are doing, because, you see, not all of us are going to be missionaries to go to Cochabamba, as we always say. But, you see, if you are living for Christ, let me just qualify this. If you are living for Christ, whatever you are doing, you are doing it for Christ. Then everything that you are doing, you are doing with the goal of promoting Christ. Hallelujah. So that if it is your marriage, your marriage, you, you work at developing your marriage that it will be a symbol of Christ and it stands for Christ. Hallelujah. If it is your school, you, you, everything about your school, it's not about yourself. It's not about, uh, um, you know, just just being seen as whatever. If it is your, 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 your career or even a car that God blesses you with. Hallelujah. It is not about showcasing your car. It's about what, how can you use your car to promote the work of Christ? 
Hallelujah. If somebody, if somebody uh, uh, gives somebody a ride to church and they have a little baby and an accident happens on the way in the, in the car, are you going to be so upset? Because some people, they worship their cars. Amen. Some people, they are, somebody even, you can't sneeze in their car. You sneeze, and because when you sneeze, sometimes other things follow. Amen. Are you listening to me? But you see, that car, that is so important to you that somebody sneezes and it's like a big issue. If that is what is driving you, then you are not living for Christ. You see, now your property has become what you are living for. Amen. And maybe this is not, this example may be far-fetched, but in many instances, in many instances, you know, what our behavior shows that we are not living for Christ. Some people, even your, your husband or your wife, because of the church, they have to they have to be gone a lot. Hallelujah. And if you have a problem with that, because it's like, what is this church that, you know, but I, I, the church has taken my husband from me. The church has taken my wife from me. I, I can't even have uh, what I, I would normally have had. If you understand that what your life is now living for Christ, then the husband or the wife that you have, understand that it is God who gave him or her. Hallelujah. And if God, because of God, you have to forfeit the time or reduce the time that you have with your spouse because of Christ, you are not going to complain. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? So this thing is true at various levels. Let's look at another, another scripture. We are talking about what standard that people can fall from. Number three, to withstand doubters, sinners, and opposers to the faith. So, so we need to develop our staying power so that when you meet people who try to confuse you, because sometimes you will meet someone who will try and confuse you. Hallelujah. Some of them are unbelievers. Some of them are people of other religion who have studied the Bible, who know enough to confuse you. But if you are not very strong and solid in your faith, you can easily be destabilized. Hallelujah. You know, the story is told of a man called um, oh, this Chapulton. I may be mispronouncing his name. I think it's Chapulton. He, he used to be a friend of Billy Graham. Do you get it? They were young people in their 20s. I think they probably went to Bible school together. And they were all preachers. They were very close friends. And Templeton, his name is Templeton. Well, I forget his first name. But his last name is Templeton. Now, this Templeton guy, um, they, they used to say that he was a better preacher. But one day, he started going into the intellectual aspect of Bible study. You know how you can study the Bible for illumination and revelation. You can also study it for higher criticism, what is called higher criticism. Amen. And so he, he got into this. And, and people who are into people who are into this type of thing, it is, it is a highly academic exercise. I mean, there are people with theology degrees who, who, who actually can critique the Bible very well. You get it. And so Templeton brought this thing to um, Billy Graham that you know what? If we are going to be serious preachers, if we are going to be considered as serious 
preachers. I think we should go to a, a serious uh, um, seminary and learn about the higher criticism aspect of Bible study, not the quiet time type Bible study which you use. Uh, you know what? Do, what did they say at the uh, Bible, uh, ch uh, children's church? Read your Bible every day. Pray and read the Bible every day if you want to grow. It's, it's like too simple. He said that people are not going to think we are serious uh, people, you know, serious people. So, so he was recommending that they should go and study the Bible in a in scholarly environment. Do you get it? So that they will be respected. And for a moment, Billy Graham was a bit destabilized because um, it, it was getting to me. This, this is his very close friend. And so I read the, 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 the week Bishop Milligram um, that I read that Milligram went to pray quietly by himself and read his Bible and quietly by himself and began to pray earnestly asking the Lord what is your will? I mean what do you want me to do? And but when he came out he talked to his friend Templeton and said you know what I have come to a conclusion about the Bible because one of the things Templeton was saying is that people are raising questions about the authenticity of the word of God about, about whether some things are not true. I mean, if you studied, even if you studied RS at uh, A-levels, you will study, you study questions that people are raising about the Bible, even at RS level. And people who study it at the university and seminary and things, they teach them a lot more things. Amen. In fact, somebody that Bishop Dark sent to go and study at Trinity College in Ghana, you get it, so that, you know, because when you study at Trinity College, it's an accredited institution. And then maybe we can have them teach in our Bible school so that gradually we cannot get accreditation. This is years ago. Because you need to have the faculty to have been trained in an accredited institution in order to get respect and accreditation for your institution. Well, these people, I think two of them, they were sent. Now, one of them came back and said, you know, Bishop, the thing they are teaching us over there. In fact, one of them was instructed to, to as, as her dissertation, right? To collect a bunch of bishops' books and write a dissertation on how to debunk it. How to debunk bishops' books. In other words, find potholes in what bishop is saying and write a, write a dissertation on it. Yes. Bishop, that's, why, that's why in Anakazo, Bishop said, look, we are not interested in accreditation. We, we, we withdrew them from the place. Because before you know it, they will come out and, and they no longer believe in God. <laughs> Amen. So, Anakazo, if, you go, if you've gone to Anakazo Mampo campus, if you go there before, there's a plaque, there's a place where Bishop has written some things. When I went there in 2016, I took pictures, but I think because of space, I've deleted some of them. But it says in there that cursed be the anyone, cursed be anyone who changes this school into a secular university institution. Amen. And then many other cases have been pronounced. In fact, it will be the person must be very bold to do it. Hallelujah. And so Templeton, Abraham, uh, I say Abraham, Billy Graham explained to him that I have read the Bible, I have prayed to God, I have conviction in my heart that the simplicity of the gospel of Christ is enough. And I see this Bible as the inerrant uh, word of God, and there's no mistakes in it. I see it literally, and that is it. Templeton said, okay, that's where they parted company. Do you get it? 
I'm talking about developing your staying power. That you're going to come into situations where people will try and spoil your feet with certain statements. Now, Templeton went ahead and registered to study at Princeton Theological Seminary. By the time he finished, I don't know what happened to him. Later, he left to go to Canada and he actually abandoned the Christian faith. The sad story of Templeton is that he died an agnostic. I don't know the final moment when he was dying. Maybe he may have repented. But when he was, as far as the public view, because based on his writings and things, he had abandoned the Christian faith. And Billy Graham rather went on to become the most famous evangelist in that last century. Hallelujah. Somebody who decided to take the simple word of God and not use any higher criticism, intellectual, scholarly thing. Do you know that some of this higher criticism, they will tell you that First uh, and Second Samuel was not written by someone. They will tell you that it was written by a, 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 a scribe from the tribe of Judah. Do you get it? A scribe from the tribe of Judah wrote it. And this tribe didn't like Saul. That is why you see that bad things about Saul, they say that a lot. And then David, only good things about David is what is written. And even the bad thing David uh, did, uh, it's like he said the Lord forgave him. So if you read such a commentary, you begin to lose your confidence in the scriptures. Because then they will cite this, uh, this ancient writing, they will cite this thing, all these things. That now, when you're reading, like, is this really true? That's what is going to happen to people who enter into that area. Hallelujah. So look at this scripture, Hebrews chapter 2. We are talking about developing our staying power so that we can withstand doubters, sinners, and opposers to the faith. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Hallelujah. We must give the most more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Or King James said, lest we let them slip. Verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. It's talking about the Old Testament. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So, you see, in other words, he's saying that when you come to Christ, the salvation that we have received, it is called a great salvation. We must respect it. It must mean a lot to you. Hallelujah. Now, if, you, if the salvation doesn't mean a lot to you, when somebody gives you some, that something that doesn't mean a lot to you, then you can, throw it, you can treat it anyhow. Hallelujah. If somebody gives you a hundred dollar bill, if you have a little jar in your house you used to collect coins, Brother Rasmus, are you likely to put a hundred dollar jar in that thing? Because a lot of people have a jar they used to collect coins. One does a lot. You take it to Walmart and they change it to currency for you, for paper currency for you. Hundred dollar bill that you receive now has higher value, so you will put it in a special place. Hallelujah. So, go back to verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. So we must have a mind, a mind that is ready to defend our faith. And if we are not ready to defend our faith, we shouldn't enter into any manner of conversation with someone who is trying to poke holes into our faith. Hallelujah. Look at this other scripture. Romans 
or rather let's take first Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one and verse eleven to fifteen. Paul, okay, according to the glorious gospel. So you see that in Hebrews we heard of salvation as a great salvation. Now look look at the adjectives, right? Great salvation glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Paul is speaking. Okay, He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor and an insolent man but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant, which with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Hallelujah. So here is somebody who values his salvation and who is thinking about what has happened to him. Amen. He says that, look, if you are looking for sinners, I am the chief of sinners. He said that. God counted me worthy. He said, I thank God that he has enabled me and placed me in the ministry. So what can people fall from? People can fall from also from the Christian commission. People can fall from the calling of Christ. You see, it's one thing being in Christ and not falling into sin. But then there is a higher calling beyond just staying and living righteous. There's another calling that involves saving souls, planting churches, establishing believers. If we stop doing that, it is also a backsliding. Hallelujah. When we are talking about staying power, you see, there are different levels. There's, there's this first level of just remaining a Christian. Like if you're a church, if you're a pastor, uh, for somebody who comes to church every Sunday, every Tuesday, you have to follow them. Amen. Because if they don't come to church, you have no one to preach to. That's the reality. What will be your uh, pa- 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 pastoral, whatever, if you don't have people to preach to? So you see, compare if you take the person who is in church versus the one that you have to make a phone call, you have to trace them down. That person is very valuable, the one who is coming. And so if people who used to come every Sunday, right, they stop coming every Sunday, it's a type of backsliding, is that not? Now, so now, we are talking about different levels. So the people who come every Sunday, right, within the people who come every Sunday, amongst them there are some who are also working beyond just coming to church. They are calling people to follow up on them. They are visiting people. They are having rehearsals. They are organizing prayer meetings. They are leading prayer meetings at 5 a.m. when other people are snoring. You get it. That, that person is also doing something beyond just coming to church. So that person who is at that level, when they stop doing that, it, is that also not a backsliding? So the backsliding is not always meaning that there are people who are now drinking and fornicating. But we are talking about different levels and of activities that will describe who you are. Hallelujah. So therefore, look at it. Abiding in Christ is where we began. Remaining a believer. Number two, to live right for Christ. That you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Christ. Number three is to withstand, to withstand doubters, sinners, and opposers. Number four is to remain active in soul winning and the commission of Christ. That's why we read First Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 that Christ Jesus came to do what to save sinners so if we if if
abandon soul winning. If Christ came, To remain active in soul winning, establishing them in Christ, and working for God. Hallelujah. So that that's another place people can fall from. That if we are not doing that, we may be abiding in Christ, but we may not be doing the soul winning. It's also a backslider. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Once people die as sinners, there are consequences. Hallelujah. And I'm going to read quickly the examples Bishop, Bishop Dark put in the book Backsliding about people who died as sinners. And if we are not frightened by people dying as sinners, then we have not understood our Christian calling. Hallelujah. We have to be frightened by the, and, and the purpose of this, going through this, the reason for that is that we need to be frightened. We need, like, like it, should, it should bother us that somebody should die a sinner. Hallelujah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for People who died as sinners. Testimonies of the sinners. He said, Let us consider what some backsliders and sinners said as they were dying. The pride and rebellion of these wicked people did not help matters as they approached the gates of hell and, and accountability. So, the first one Bishop that talks about is a man called Tom Payne. Tom Payne lived between 1737 and, and uh, 1809. He was considered to be a literary giant. He wrote the book called The Age of Reason and lived during the revivals of John Wesley and George Whitfield. So when John Wesley and George Whitfield were having their revivals in England and later came to America, this guy called Tom Paine, he was also writing things contrary to what God was doing. Do you see? All right. He lived a life that was against God and drew people away from God. I believe that this is one of the people who have made Europe Europe so antichrist and atheistic in their way of thinking. One person who witnessed his death said he is truly to be pitied. Although Tom Paine did not believe in God, at the hour of death on his bed, he said, listen to him, I will give worlds if I had them. That age of reason had not been published. Oh Lord, help me. Oh God, what have I done to suffer so much? Then after he had said that, he said, but there is no God. Yet if there is a God, what will become of me in the world after? If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. Those were his last words and he died. You see, here are people who use their life to advance the cause of Satan and to promote poking holes into the gospel. And he wrote the age of reason, like, look, in this age, we use our minds. We don't believe in the 
devil use carpenter and their blood washing away sins. Why? Are you stupid? Do you get it? But when he was dying, part of him is like, a, what's his name? Uh, the half human character in the Lord of the Rings. Smug, it was like he, he was bipolar, right? Because in one moment, he, he had a moment like as if he's about to repent and ask for forgiveness. The next moment, he say, but there's no God. And he died. We pray next week, we are going to read more about other sinners. But then this picture should give us a frightening um, condition that A, we should win sinners to Christ because otherwise this shall be their fate. And B, we better not backslide and become like these people. Hallelujah. Did you know that Joseph Stalin went to seminary? Joseph Stalin went to seminary. You get it. I mean, if his name is Joseph, he must have been raised in a Christian home. Amen. Joseph Stalin, the, the, the Russian premier, who was responsible for the death of, I think, 20 million plus people, he went to seminary at some point and then backslid. And his backsliding was all the way to the other end, whereby he became an instrument of the devil. So what I'm telling you is very serious business. If Templeton could die an agnostic, then you and I should watch out and pray for the grace of God. Put your hands together unto the Lord and stand up to your feet. Commit yourself to the Lord even as we bring out an offering. Our dear God and Father, we commit ourselves to you. We ask you to show us mercy give us spiritual stamina and strength that we will never give up. Neither shall we be knocked off our, our track by anything that the devil throws at us. Help us with staying power and we commit all our offerings to you. We dedicate it to you and to your cause that your name shall be announced in all the world and that we shall stay on course in the Christian commission. Bless it, Lord. Increase us financially in the name of Jesus. Amen.